My name is Brian Habig. I'm one of the pastors here. That was Tim U. Dodge. He was leading us beforehand. Um, we, uh, we're getting pretty far into Romans now, and uh, only two chapters after this one. We're starting 14 this morning. And if you're here and you don't have a Bible, you can just follow in the bulletin there. That's the passage that I'll be preaching from. A friend of mine and Dana's uh, that we knew in Nashville when we lived there lived uh, about a mile from our house and lived... It was right in a cul-de-sac, and not even a long cul-de-sac, I mean a short cul-de-sac. And as best I recall, he was flanked by two families that were both from Iraq. And you may or may not know this, the largest population of Kurds outside of Iraq is Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, they all worked at Kroger, from what I could tell. But, the, <laughs> but there was one family that were Kurds, and there were one family that were non-Kurdish Iraqis. And so, as Kevin uh, met these families, and they found out, like, I'm, I'm living between these families from Iraq, he asked, do you know the so-and-sos? And they said, we've met. And he said, have you been able to, to get to know them? He said, we, we don't really associate. And when he asked them about it, what he found out was that they just were kind of from a different class of Iraqis. And he said he was just blown away because he thought, okay, you know, I, I get it that there's different different circles, different classes, but you're both from Iraq on the same cul-de-sac in Nashville, Tennessee. You know, I would say there's probably more that you share than is different about you. But the differences sort of define how they related to each other. Christians do this. Um, and when I say Christian, I, I, you know, my definition of that would be someone who professes faith in Jesus Christ and would uh, embrace all this stuff that we've covered in Romans. And I know some of the particulars there's differences about, but just the, the, the biggies, that there's one true God and we all answer to Him. And because of how we showed up and how we live, we should be found guilty before Him. And to, I mean, it's the things we talked about in the confession of sin and the assurance of pardon, as, as Tim led us, you know, that we've been forgiven in Jesus Christ. And it's not just, oh, good, I'm going to heaven, I'm not going to hell. But it's, I've been adopted. God is my Father. I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity lives inside me. Christians share all that. But sometimes it's the particulars of the doing of the Christian life that will feel so big and so powerful that Christians just almost can't relate to each other. Now, if you haven't experienced that yet, and not everyone in the room is a Christian, but, it, but if you are, it's probably coming. It might come with somebody that you've got some history with where just some aspect of doing the Christian life, you land in different places and feelings run high and it affects your friendship. And if and when that happens, this passage is gold. I mean, Christians always have, and they always will, disagree about some of the particulars. What do we do when that happens? And one last thing, and then I'm going to read it. Remember, this section of Romans is responding to the gospel. It's like if all this stuff Paul has written about the gospel is true, if you believe this, what kind of family member would you be? What kind of citizen would you be? And this passage is answering this question. What kind of person would you be if you really, really disagree with a brother or sister about some aspect of living the Christian life? Then what do you do? Romans 14, beginning in verse 1. 
As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld. For the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Amen. This is God's Word. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you now would help us, that you'd cause the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts to be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I mentioned living in Nashville. When I was living in Nashville, one of the highlights for me was that there was a friend of mine from years gone by and when Dana and I found out we were moving to Nashville, we're not from there originally, it was exciting to know that this friend lived there and I'd get to spend more time with him. And not long before we moved here, I had lunch one day with this friend. And I'm going to say this on the front end, that uh, like all of us, you know, you look back sometimes on a hard conversation or a disagreement and there's lots of regret. You wish you had said things differently you wish your tone had been different, or you wish you had not said some particular things. And uh, looking back on this conversation, I would say all of the above for me as to my part in this conversation. But what happened was this this friend, when I say friend, I don't just mean acquaintance. I mean like he had been in my wedding and I'd been in his wedding. But we were disagreeing about an aspect of uh, living the Christian life, and it really had to do with how you teach children. Educating children. Now, the Bible does say teach children, but it doesn't give you all the particulars of what model or how you do that or what's your time frame. And uh, he was very energized about this stuff. And it, it just came up more and more in conversation. He was reading about it more. And it seemed like it was hijacking almost every conversation we had. And uh, I broached the subject, and it didn't go well, and the friendship was really never the same. Now, you may have experienced this before. And I can say with full confidence, this is a guy who is a brother. 
he believes in Christ. He's a good guy. I mean, that kind of southern good guy. I mean, he's wicked like the rest of us. But, you know, he's a good, he's a good guy. He's a great guy. Um, he believes that Jesus is the Savior for sinners. He wants people all over the world to know Jesus. He believes the Bible is the Word of God. But when we got into this, it just was a lightning rod. And things were kind of never the same. And I would say this again. If you're a Christian, if you haven't experienced this before, you might. Probably will in the future. And it can be with family. It can be between spouses. It can definitely be with friends. What do we do with this? And what's interesting to note in this passage is that... And not to sound nerdy, but... Uh, well, guilty as charged. But the, in the original, in the Greek, it jumps out more... That there's, this passage has the language of judging. Judgment. And it's not judgment just kind of out there in society. In other words, this is not just a standalone passage where Paul is saying, hey, hey, look, let's be nice for crying out loud. Can we, can we be tolerant people and not be judgmental with each other? Probably a good idea. But that's not what he's saying. He's writing to a church. He's talking about Christians with other Christians. What is it, when we come to different conclusions about how to do this, what do we do with that? And he said, there's actually a way to play the judge. You don't just go, well, you know, like, I, I disagree, but hey, I'm, I'm for you, and we can agree to disagree. But you, if not outwardly, inwardly, you denounce that person. Guilty. Wrong. Naive. Ignorant. Or just sort of that sense inside of, you know, really, I'm, I'm not surprised. There are really just a few of us that really get it. There are just really a few of us that understand all the nuances. And Paul says, you know, that's judgment. It's really a form of what Tim talked about in the confession of sin. At that point, we have haughty eyes. So let's look at judgment. Um, bad judgment and good judgment. Because I would say both are in the passage. Bad judgment and good judgment. Let's start with the bad. Where do you see that? First off, what's the, what, what's the occasion for it? What's the subject of the judgment? Look in verses 2 and 5 and you'll get a, a snapshot. Verse 2. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Okay, so food. Verse 5. One person esteems one day is better than another while another esteems all days alike. Days And, you know, lots of Christians have summed this up as it's a difference of uh, diet and days. Where's this, where's this coming from? Now, hang on to that. L- let me say this before we go any further. It's important to stop and hear what we're talking about. What we're talking about are disagreements about how do you do the Christian life. It's disagreements about application. He's not so much talking about disagreement of core Christian doctrine. In other words, he's not talking about one person saying, okay, you believe that what takes care of sin is Jesus dying on the cross. I kind of believe God did it another way, but we can disagree, it's all good. Paul would say, no, 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 no. Way back in chapter 6, verse 17, if you're taking notes, he commends these Roman Christians. He says, I commend you for obeying the standard of teaching that was entrusted to you. And he says things like that in his other letters, that there's, a, there's an apostolic take on things that I want you to buy into. 
I want you to have certain opinions about your views of the Christian faith because of what God's Word says. He's not so much talking about that. He's not talking about the Trinity. What he's talking about is where you see either from a command or from a principle in Scripture, this is something that Christians should do, but it doesn't tell you exactly how to do it. Now, what would be the context for disagreeing about you know, days and diet? Well, something that we've talked about going through Romans is that this Roman congregation had ethnically Jewish believers in Jesus and, of course, a lot of Gentiles, Romans, non-Jews. Let me use an example. Picture what they would bring to the table when Yom Kippur came around. Yom Kippur, once a year, the Day of Atonement. If you had grown up ethnically Jewish, but you became a Christian, so you still had that, that background, that was your experience, that was your culture, but you've come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, so you're in this Roman church. For you, Yom Kippur would have all this memory and meaning and even nostalgia, how it felt that day when you went without food, how, just the, kind of the feel of the day, sort of like how Christmas feels so different than all the other days. And, you know, you might think, man, I, all that time, what I was celebrating on the Day of Atonement was what the high priests did. But now what I know on the Day of Atonement is the high priest who still lives, who didn't have any sin of his own but had our sin on him, he took care of it. The Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, is more special to me than it ever was before. And he or she really celebrates it. And then you've got this Roman Gentile Christian did not grow up with Yom Kippur... And when he gets to that day, she gets to that day, it's just like any other day. And they'd be looking at that person saying, did you not catch that Jesus took care of all this? There is no more priesthood. There's no more more temple that we go to. There's no more day of atonement. Every day is the day of atonement. We live in the day of atonement. I'm not going to do anything different this day because Christ took care of it. Can't you picture this person, the Jewish person, looking and going, So all those generations of people that love our God, that love the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for whom this was a -a one-of-a-kind day, you're just going to kind of like go shopping today. You're just going to kind of go to work today, and it's not special for you. And this person said, every day is the Day of Atonement. I'm saying every day is special because of what Christ did. They are set up to disagree. And here's the thing. We're talking about two individuals. I've got my hands around their necks, I think. We've got two individuals here that believe this stuff, love Jesus, believe He's the Messiah. They are Christians in the same church. It's the doing of the Christian life that they disagree about. Now, when they disagree and one thinks the other's wrong, you know, it's funny because Paul says, if you're the one who's strong, be merciful to the one who's weak. And it's funny, they both think they're the strong one. Both of them think the other one is weak, right? Which is, this is what we do. When we do that, we're judging. Now again, we hear that and we go, yeah, no one wants to be judgmental. Let's not be judgmental. Let's be understanding people. But this is Romans. This is not a little standalone plaque about the Christian life. It's part of a big letter. Think about this. The verb judge, which comes up half a dozen times in this passage, hasn't been used since way back in chapters 2 and 3 when Paul is talking about what is the bad news? Why do we need a Savior? Look 
In the italics under our passage, this is from earlier in Romans. This is in the bad news section. Romans 2 verse 12. Here's a little sample. For all who have sinned without the law, all right, so Gentiles, will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law, Jews, will be judged by the law. Pretty comprehensive. That's the kind of language you hear in that section of, look, if, if anybody, whatever your background, whatever your ethnicity, if you stand before the living God kind of on your own merits, I'm going to stand here on my own obedience, it will be your doom. God sent His Son to take care of the justice that we richly deserve. And then when Paul gets to the good news in chapter 3, the verb judge disappears. And it doesn't reappear until this passage where all of a sudden people who've been rescued from that ultimate justice are now aiming it at each other. You don't get it. You haven't thought this through. You haven't caught the nuances. Now for them it was a different context. What about diet in days in our context? Think about this. Days. Some Christians, both in the past and at present, make use of the Christian church calendar. Like right now, we're in between Ash Wednesday and Easter, so we are in Lent. And for some people, they're all about it. And they have given up something. And it might be something kind of easy. You know, they gave up pole vaulting or something like that. And... um, but, you know, but it may be something really difficult, something they really love, something they really enjoy. And, and look, they're doing it as Christians. They're not doing it like, wow, I'm going to go without beer for 40 days and I'm going to get like some goody points with God. They don't believe that. They believe that this is a time for me to enter into sort of a, a, a form of fasting and really do some heart work to kind of get out my little spade and work around in the soil of my heart and just kind of deal with some stuff that I haven't dealt with for a long time. And this is going to be... We should be doing that all the time. Yeah, but this is going to be a season where I get really intense about it. And then another Christian will say, okay, look, first, that's, that's not even as ancient as you think it is. Number two, Scripture doesn't command it. Three, we should be doing that all the time. And do you see how they're set up for disagreement? I want to say, okay, so you're telling me I shouldn't enter into a time where I really try to examine my heart and root out sin and seek God more. You're saying that I should step down from that during this time. Can we be charitable with one another rather than judge? Because here's the thing. All of us live like some days are more important than others. Sometimes the very people who are most critical, let's say, of something like a Lent or Ascension Day or something like that, they're all about Christmas. You know what? Scripture doesn't commend Christmas. Scripture doesn't require Christmas. But are you going to do Christmas? I mean, on the basis of Romans 14, are we just going to kind of stand there by ourselves in the corner going, I'm free in Christ. I don't have to be hidebound by man-made rules and like everybody else in Christendom is eating their honey-baked ham. Looking back at us going, right on, keep going, we'll be over here with our honey-baked ham. How far do you want to take this? Can we be charitable with each other? Uh, When it comes to diet, I'd say the 
disagreements, the, the, the more painful ones are not so much about food, that happens, but it's drink. It's alcohol. And here's the reality. Some people, when, when the gospel really clicks, like when God's mercy really gets their heart and they understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, they have to put alcohol totally down to the Lord. They have to put it down. And ideally, when they do that, they can do it saying, this is not for everybody. This is for me to the Lord because of the past, because of mistakes, because of idolatries. And yes, some people, when the gospel really grabs their heart, they can pick it up. Maybe for the first time, or for the first time uh, moderately, wisely. Can we be charitable with one another? Is it it really best to have a church that's 100% teetotalers? Is it really best to have a church that is 100% users of alcohol. We are probably at our best when we're a mix. If we can be charitable. Let me add one other category. We did diet and days, but um, a, the issue where I think disagreement with Christians in our circles tends to be most felt is what we do with our children. I mean, people that don't give a flip about Lent or Ascension Day or, you know, Halloween or whatever. They're like, that's great, Halloween's fun, go do Halloween. But you critique something about how they discipline their children or how they educate children. And the knives come out because they're our children. We've got all this emotional investment and we're so concerned that we're getting it right. And then for somebody to question it, it really it makes our blood boil. I mean, think about, think about differences in education. Let's say, right, let's say over here you've got the Christian who believes children of believers should be taught by other believers. Now, even that person may have different views. They may think that needs to be parent or parents at home. That's the old way. We can do it that way. Or it may be, no, I'm not going to do it that way, but there are great schools with Christian teachers, Christian content. We need to let our Christian children go to those kinds of schools. Some parents are going to say, look, I want my child to believe the Word of God, but I also want my child to be able to navigate a world where not everybody's a Christian. So yeah, I'm going to send them to a secular school, secular private school, a public school. I want them to learn how to navigate those realities while they're at home with me. Man, they can get tense. You know, this person can be looking over here saying, hey, did you, did you miss the part in Deuteronomy where it says... You teach your child, you walk in the way together, you talk day and night together, you teach them, you instruct them when you get up, when you lie down. This person might say, yeah, it says teach them the law of God. It doesn't say teach them algebra. So I'm doing what Deuteronomy 6 says, but yeah, I do delegate other teaching to other people with expertise and time that I don't have. Here's the end game. Are we judging each other? Are we looking at each other and saying, you're doing it wrong where Scripture hasn't said exactly how to do it. It's actually been an encouragement to me, and I'm not saying this like, oh, aren't we the stuff? We're not the stuff. But something that has been encouraging to me has been that really from the get-go in our church, there have been families 
that educate their children with all of the above. In fact, some just families by themselves have tried all of the above. And that we can be a church family and not define our fellowship by where do you land on education? Where do you land on spanking? Where do you land on alcohol? But that there can be variety in the room and we not judge each other. That's bad judgment. What does good judgment look like? First off, I'm going to answer a rhetorical question. The first judgment should be of oneself. Uh, Look in verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Now, that's a rhetorical question, but if we were going to answer it, it would probably sound something like this. Um, I'm a Christian with amnesia. I forgot that... I showed up dead in sin and trespasses, and I forgot that I was naturally deserving of God's wrath. I kind of still am deserving of God's wrath, scratch kind of. I am deserving of God's wrath right now. And I forgot that, and I started wielding judgments about people's opinions, people who believe in the same Lord Jesus and believe the same Bible and are my brothers and sisters. Whoops, that's who I am. That's a good judgment. And then, and maybe judgment's not the, the right word, but appraisal, reassessment of who God is. Look in verse 9. This is great. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that He might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. That He might be Lord of the dead and the living. Christ did not die and live again so that we can be the Lord of the dead and the living. He died and lived again so that He might be the Lord of the dead and the living. It is to the living God that we all answer. Now, I was thinking this morning about... There's a song... We've never sung it as a church, but I used to sing it when I was a a very young child growing up in a church... He's got the whole world in his hands. He talks about he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the mommies and the daddies in his hands. He's got you and me in his hands. You know, that is true. Like He has it in his hands. It's not in our hands. He's God. He's the one to whom we all answer. So then what does that free us up to do when we judge rightly about ourselves and God? Well, one thing is this, is it lets you pull the trigger about disputable matters. Look at verse 1 again. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Opinions, that's a Greek word for disputable matters. Things where there's not a clear answer in the Bible about here's how you do it. Then look down in verse verse 5. It says, one person... And the English translation says, esteems one day. In the original, it says judge. This is a judgment. One person judges one day as better than another, while another judges all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Look, when, when you and I think about these disputable matters, let's do our homework. Let's not just be reactionary. 
why do I eat this? Why do I drink this? Why do I celebrate this day or choose not to celebrate this day? Why do I do this with a child? Why do I educate that way? To know why we do it and understand it's a big deal. It's unto the Lord. And Paul says, yeah, one day we do, as Christians, as saved people, we stand before God and we give an account for our decisions. So yeah, let's do our homework. But since we don't live in a pressure cooker anymore, we can pull the trigger. We can make a decision and go with it. Be fully convinced in your own mind. We're going to talk about that more next week. But the, the big thing that it frees us up to do is not pull the trigger. And we've got to do that. But the big thing is what? It's welcome. Verse 1 again. As for the one who's weak in faith, welcome him. But not to quarrel over opinions. And that's a... I don't want to make light of it, but it's funny how Paul puts that. Don't welcome a Christian into your presence or into your fellowship to have a debate. You know? Like, oh, you, uh, you drink alcohol. Yeah, come, come on in so that we can, like, lamb blast you. It's come in because you're valuable. Why, are you va- Why should you be welcomed if I disagree with you? Verse 3. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For, why? God has welcomed him. Chapter 15, verse 7 says the same thing. Christ has welcomed us. Think about what Paul is saying. The God who should punish us welcomes us. God loves when we ring the doorbell. God loves when we stop by. God loves when we interrupt Him. He welcomes us. And now we're going to wield judgment? It's it's like, it would be like two men on death row an hour from being executed and they get the proverbial phone call of pardon from the governor, and they're just released, pardoned, totally walk out of their prison cells, walk out of the prison. They're going to be executed like in a few minutes, and they're just chewing each other out for the particulars of how they murdered somebody. I can't believe you shot someone. I can't believe you stabbed someone. Well, you're an idiot. What are y'all doing? You were going to be killed, and you deserved it. And you've been set free. And you're going to judge each other? To welcome one another. What does, that, what does that look like? And I'd offer a couple of things. One would be this. The way we do community groups. And this is a big deal in our church. This is not so much a program. It's more, it really would be more the case that our church is comprised of community groups as a congregation. And as we like to say, it's not like we do it just right and we're the perfect execution of it. They're all ragged around the edge and have their problems and they all have their own personalities. That may sound discouraging, actually. They're good, but they're all different. And they're not perfect. They're groups of people, right? But when we're together, whether it's with the, the regulars, or but especially with visitors, can we just decide as a church that we're not going to assume that everyone in the room already thinks like me about everything? That like not everyone in the room agrees with me politically, is in the same party. 
that not everyone in the room just, uh, of course, listens to the same news sources that I do and sort of leans to that side. That we don't just assume that everyone approaches children or alcohol or, or other executions of the Christian life exactly as I do, but we're careful with each other. And what does love look like? Does love look like, I'm just going to impose this sort of one-size-fits-all template on you, or is love to like know you and ask you questions and try to understand you and relate to you as you? Because you're not like other people. You're you. Man, that would be great if we could welcome one another and love each other, gathered around the biggies, the standard of teaching, but charity as to how we disagree in some of the opinions about how you live the Christian life. But lastly, to think about what we're doing right now. Um, for, For some of you in the room, I don't know all the names, I know a few. Some of you really have what we could call social anxiety. And for some of you, one of the hardest things you do all week, maybe the hardest thing, is you drive to 435 West Washington and you get out of the car. And you go thrust yourself in with a bunch of people and you hang with it while we're here. And I I just kind of periodically need to say thank you because that's harder than almost anybody understands. Thank you and please keep going. I, I would not say that's the majority of us in the room. Now, the majority of us, we just kind of, sometimes there's crowds and we try to do the best we can. Um, Are you the person who, after the benediction and the dismissal, beelines it out for the car? Because if you are, I'm not setting you up to scold you. I don't think that's sin. I don't think that's disobeying the law of God. But what, what I would ask you to think about is we need your help. If we're going to be a body that feels like what this passage is talking about, if we're going to be a welcoming church, we need people who just go ahead and say, you know what, for five minutes, for ten minutes, some of you for 45 minutes. You know, afterward, which I love, afterward, I'm just going to, that's just going to be part of my Sunday that I'm not going to rush out. I'm going to speak to someone I don't know. And I know the fear, I know the fear as you go over and say, Hey, I'm Brian. Are you new here? And they go, no, I'm an elder. You know, like I helped start the church or something like that. I've been here five years. Uh, Good times. We we, we can get through that. I think we can be charitable with each other. But could we be people who, even in the way we do Sunday morning, that we're welcoming? And that we we don't assume the person that we're talking to is already a Christian. And if we discern that this person professes to be a Christian, we don't discern what kind of Christian he or she is or what they're doing here or how they got here or what their background is. But we welcome them as they are and try to understand who they are. That would show that we really believe that when we should not have been welcomed, we were welcomed by the living God because of the work of Jesus on our behalf. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, of course we pray um, for us as a church that this would 
work its way into our hearts, that we would be welcoming in what Sunday morning feels like, what it is, that our groups meeting in homes, that they would be welcoming, that we would not assume things of people or make expectations that you're not placing upon them. But Father, even for us individually, we pray as to what we are with co-workers, with colleagues, with next-door neighbors. Lord, make us a non-judgmental people, truly non-judgmental. Would you cause us to be so amazed that justice fell on another, that we can extend a lot of welcome and a lot of mercy and a lot of value to the people around us, especially those in Christ Jesus. And we pray in His name. Amen.